Welcome to Season A of Sashimi. For Episode 6, I interviewed Sam Richard, Senior Director of Growth at OpenView Partners, a venture capital firm focused on software companies. I've been following OpenView's blog for some time now, and Sam's post on product-led growth really made me curious about the subject. In this interview, we discussed what product-led growth is, what type of companies can leverage the strategy, and how traditional metrics might be misleading when applied to PLG. Enjoy. Sam, thank you very much for joining the podcast. No worries. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, We're going to talk about product-led growth, which I believe is a term that OpenView or Partners coined. But before we start, could you please tell us about yourself and OpenView Partners? I can start on OpenView because it sort of helps uh, describe myself. But OpenView is uh, an expansion stage software firm. So we're extremely, extremely sort of selective about the investments that they do, that we do. We typically sort of invest where anyone is between zero and 10 million in ARR, typically three to 10 million ARR, where someone has really found their product market fit, but they're a founder who's really sort of bumping up against how do we scale these processes and how do we get stronger at go to market. So some of our, you know, earliest and most successful investments have been companies like Datadog. Also, uh, Calendly is a more recent one. Uh, Cypress.io is a more recent one. We're really sort of interested in any tools that you're going to bring to work and is going to make your working life better. And as part of that, um, partner Blake Bartlett uh, actually coined the term uh, product-led growth after sort of leading the investment into Calendly and trying to really understand Calendly's business model and how it really differed from a lot of other enterprise software that he'd been looking at at the time. So the firm really loved Calendly, like loved the economics that Calendly has produced and said, you know, how can we sort of identify this, what we consider to be a trend in the software market and how can we coin it? And that term is product-led growth and has everything to do with sort of end users bringing software to work. Um, end users like you and I purchasing B2B software as consumers and really bringing it to work and adopting it in a very bottoms up motion rather than sort of tops down like you would consider a CRM or an ERP tool. Um, I've spent the majority of my life in startups. I started out very early on as a consultant. But so I started out sort of working for a marketing agency, then went in-house at a company that's now called Catalant, doing all of their sort of digital marketing, um, any sort of like left-sided marketing ops, sales ops, those types of things. Didn't necessarily love it there. So I moved on to a company called Dispatch, which was a very, very early teammate there. Um, I was brought in to lead marketing, but I found um, because we sold to very large enterprises that... We didn't necessarily need a ton of marketing. We sort of needed air coverage. But ultimately, we sold into large companies like Sears or home warranties, um, and they were happiest and we were making the most money when their service providers were using our technology platform. So imagine training a bunch of plumbers and electricians how to use a mobile application. So I spent four years of my life doing that, figuring out, you know, what does customer success look like? What the heck is customer success? How do we support 70,000 service providers in a really automated um, and very low budget way? And then, you know, figuring out from there, okay, well, how can we use the product to actually do all of this work for us? And then how can we use integrations to do even more of this lifting? So I wear a lot of different hats. Uh, It turns out a lot of those hats are called product-led growth. So when we sold the company to Vista Equity Partners in 2018, um, OpenView sort of came a knocking and I felt like it was a really great opportunity to join the firm. So I, I sit in the team as our a senior director of growth. So OpenView is really unique in sort of our investing approach. As I mentioned before, we really like to help companies that, you know, have a really strong product market fit and have a really strong technology, but really need to figure out how to scale, go to market and get a lot more users on their platforms. I work really closely with portfolio companies on scaling things like 
you know, how do we create a freemium motion? How do we map out an ideal customer journey? How do we expand into these markets? How do we identify our, our best customer segments? Um, and really figuring out, okay, how do we bridge the gap between where you are now and getting to 15, 20 million in ARR? Speaking of uh, product-led growth, I've seen in, in your uh, fantastic blog, there were like a three eras determining how software was purchased. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what the age of your, your listeners are, um, but some of us who have been sort of in software for quite some time might remember sort of the CEO era where everything really was sold sort of on the golf course um, by these, you know, very expensive traveling salesmen who would have these extremely long sales cycles where they would really sell into a business um, very, very large price tags. So think about like the oracles of the world or the systems that you really can't replace. We call that the CEO era. It came with a lot of sort of restrictions. It came with extremely long sales cycles, a very deeply embedded sales culture, and a lot of sort of marketing to prop up around it and technology um, to prop up around it too. It's very customized for that individual organization. And even things like training and things like that were extremely common because those tools were extremely difficult to use. And then moving into the next era, we saw sort of like the executive era where there started to be more and more verticalized software. So things like a CRM, things like a marketing automation tool would be sold into you know, heads of certain departments and while that wasn't necessarily this golf course sales process where they're taking you out to steak dinners, they were sort of, you know, working with you in terms of lots and lots of demos, lots of sales architecture, um, and a lot of sort of fact-finding missions to figure out, you know, how do we really sell this contract? And, you know, those were, you know, anywhere between thirty dollars and $300,000 a year. Those are extremely large contracts, and those still exist today. I mean, Marketo's out there, Gainsight's out there. There's a lot of folks out there who are doing that, and it's super successful for some businesses. And then finally, we sort of come into the end user era. And that's where, you know, folks like me, who's just trying to hack some things together and really find some ease of use at work, discovering tools like Zapier, I'm discovering tools like Slack, where I can start being really collaborative, not only with my work itself and sort of putting things together, but also with my teammates. And you start to really see that virality sort of pick up. And people like me, you know, we find things that actually solve for the problem that we're looking to solve. You know, people at my workplace might actually say, hey, I really like this. And ultimately, enough of the business starts using it that the entire business itself actually decides to, to purchase that piece of software just the same as that CEO would have, but in a very, very different motion and much more affordably for that software company selling it. It appears, at least from the findings you had on, uh, again, I used your blog very extensively to yeah. uh, research. It's, it's something new to me that uh, companies that utilize product-led growth they tend to be sold at higher multiples, tend to grow faster. Can you tell us a little bit about those fundings? Yeah. So we, we manage our, our PLG index, which I definitely need to be updating a little bit more, especially with all of the public uh, activity going on these days. Um, but we find that product-led businesses, they're spending a lot more on research and development. And we sort of, we quantify that as, you know, engineers or product leads. They're investing a lot more back into their product and they're spending a lot less on sales and marketing. So typically we see sales and marketing expense, anything past 40% in these like sort of CEO led or tech exec led sales models. Um, but most product-led businesses are spending below 30%. I mean, DigitalOcean just went public a few weeks ago and they're spending like 15% of their entire revenue on sales and marketing, which is completely nuts. So if you start to think about how that trickles down into the unit economics of the rest of the business, you know, there's just a lot less um, money being spent to actually acquire those customers. And there's a lot more time being spent on how to, you know, figuring out 
how do we get more money out of these customers and how do we keep these customers around for a longer period of time um, so that we can become more profitable even with the customers that we have. So we're going to talk about the metrics uh, later on because it's important is since mm-hmm. these companies uh, spend so little on sales and marketing. So primary go-to-market strategy for these companies is uh, free trials and freemiums. Is that fair? I would say that's not necessarily their go-to-market strategy, but it's definitely um, the way that they capture what, you know, old school marketers might consider to be leads. Um, I would say, you know, the primary way that they're getting folks to be aware of their product is not only to get them to sign up, but they also have really strong brands too. And uh, looking through the survey that mm-hmm. you uh, performed last year, and I, I know that you're updating mm-hmm. uh, today, yeah. I, I, I wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit in some findings that uh, you had and mm-hmm. go like uh, category by, by category. Uh, yeah. For instance, the, you compare the acquisition channels, right? Yeah, if you think about sort of traditional software marketing, you know, a lot of that was done sort of via lead generation, which, you know, even when I started my career was definitely through paid search or through uh, display advertising, because, you know, that was extremely affordable at the time. and was a great way for startups to do these things. But turns out, you know, if you're solving for a very small pain point encountered by an end user, I may not be out there sort of searching for the Calendly's of the world or searching for Calendly software, because it doesn't actually feel like a pain point to me until I see that someone else has it and then I want it too. So one of the things that we look at was definitely sort of paid marketing and how you're doing that. Um, Another was really sort of organic. So, you know, that can cover a lot of different things. That's association with your brand, people just coming in on brand terms. That's also sort of via SEO, which is kind of an old school, but also a very hip thing to be doing right now. So, you know, finding someone through the blog or finding someone through a piece of documentation that they've written about their product. um, We really sort of look at that quite a bit. We also look at sort of sales acquired leads. So, you know, I think the majority of us have all encountered a a business development representative at some point in our email trying to sell us something maybe on LinkedIn. That's definitely a a popular channel as well and something that we like to ask about. Finally, we, we sort of look for others as well. One thing that I'm most interested in is sort of like what are emerging um, tactics that people are using in order to to drive signups outside of those buckets. And one of those is product and the other is channel. So um, if you think about sort of partnerships and sort of, you know, how could we sort of integrate with another tool to bring people in? Um, how can we sort of build a partnership and potentially like have someone manage it so that we could sort of share, you know, prospects with one another? And then finally, the product itself um, can sometimes end up being an acquisition channel. So if you think about early days of HubSpot, they built a completely separate product called Sidekick, which was for sales guys to actually send automated emails. And it's completely not necessarily the same audience of people who would end up using HubSpot, you know, the marketing operations tool. But when they came out with their CRM, they had sort of all of these leads prepackaged for them of these sales guys because they were already using uh, Sidekick and would actually see the value proposition in this tool as well. So when I think about, you know, emerging fields, very few people are using the product itself to, you know, sort of bring in users from cradle to grave. And then other folks are, you know, they're sort of dabbling with channels, but it's not necessarily a strength in B2B SaaS yet. Sam, what about the retention? I actually, um, I think it's variable. And I know that's not everyone's favorite answer, but one of the things that we really like to look at rather than retention overall sort of as of logos or of customers is really net dollar retention. So that's just, you know, for every dollar that came in on any given cohort, how long does it stay and does it really expand? Um, Because, you know, product-led businesses typically have a free trial or some sort of free way of entering the market. 
they're going to have a lot of people join the product and really decide it isn't for them. So they're going to see a lot of folks churn. But, you know, if they have a really good sort of traction and understanding of their user and understanding of their users' needs, they are going to find this subset of users who are really happy with the product and who not only use the product and stick around, which is great, but they're also going to spend more with the product over time. So net dollar retention is really a way of not only looking at, you know, are they finding customers and retaining them, but also with those customers, are they making more money because they're making them happier? Does it mean that these companies primarily focus on uh, customer success and R&D then? Yes. One of the things that um, we sort of relate back to that CEO sales-led cycle versus the tech exec sales-led cycle is ultimately you know, these end users are happier when they're speaking with customer success because they've already tried the product and they like, they don't need to be sold on it because they've already mostly seen the value, but they do need to say, how can I make this product work for me better? And, you know, that's really where customer success comes in, not only to say, to show them how it can work for them, but also to report back into the business. Like, Hey, this use case becomes really common. Hey, this feature is becoming really requested. How can we actually start to spin that up more quickly and sort of react to these users' needs more strongly rather than just trying to sell a new package or, you know, a, an upgrade or something like that over time? One thing that's very interesting is, as I think about it, like I follow a few bloggers who tend to create benchmarks for all these public companies and they often talk about mm-hmm. customer acquisition cost and uh, a payback, uh, payback mm-hmm. period. Back payback payback yes and mm-hmm. here it seems like this metrics is actually misleading right because they mm-hmm. don't capture r&d at all can you tell us a little bit about how should people measure the performance of these companies yeah i i mean i think that's that's really curious and that's something that actually a lot of my colleagues and i go back and forth on because i personally think that you know there might be some sort of strangeness going on with bookkeeping at companies like zoom where there isn't necessarily a heavy sales and marketing spend but there is a really really high r&d spend because ultimately you're just disguising a lot of your sales and marketing in your r&d and there's still no sort of accounting for that yet i i mean Product-led business models are incredibly young. Um, They've maybe been around for eight to 10 years. So I could foresee that changing. But one of the things that, you know, I I really look at to sort of understand um, how well someone's sort of inner engine is working is uh, at OpenView, we'd coined the metric natural rate of growth. So that's taking, you know, your percentage of organic traffic or the, the percentage of folks who are finding your business organically, multiplying that by your growth rate. And then multiplying that by 100, so that you you actually get that you know that score of one out of 100, um, and that really sort of helps you understand how well is our business actually thriving. So basically, if we were to strip away all of our sales and marketing tomorrow, here's like the real growth of our business driven by our product. That's interesting. And is there like mm-hmm. a benchmark for some of your companies that you can share? Yeah. I mean, so when I look at sort of like the expensifies over the world, um, which is a an open view portfolio company, you know, they're growing or 94% annually, uh, year over year revenue growth, 100% of their ARR is coming after product sign up, 99% of their users or are organic. So that puts their natural rate of growth at 93%, which is super, super high and one of the highest that I've ever seen. On the lower end is HubSpot, who started out as a very sales-led organization, but is really, really doing a great job of positioning themselves as product-led and moving their business over. Their year-over-year revenue growth, because they're so large, is around 32%. Their percentage of ARR after sign-up is around 60%. So they, they still have a free product, so they're getting a lot of folks to pay after sign-up. Their organic 
discovery rate is around 75%, which is really, really strong, but that still brings their natural rate of growth to, to 14% overall. So we discussed product-led growth. Does it mean that any SaaS company can basically transition itself to this model or it's not really for everyone? You know, I think that people can. Um, this is sort of up in the air too. I mean, a lot of folks say that you have to have it built into your business from day one. Um, I do think that people can really sort of transition, but I'm not going to say that it's super simple or easy. I think it's extremely challenging and it's really challenging to get sort of very large, very seasoned executive teams to sort of take this on because a lot of folks don't have very strong experience when it comes to it. Um, there are not a lot of folks out there who were born and bred to sort of optimize freemium funnels and to, you know, drive and understand what's going on in the product because that just hasn't necessarily been what people have been rewarded by in the market in the past. Um, so I look at companies like HubSpot who've done an excellent job of transitioning and who I would consider to be completely product-led at this point. And then I see other companies who also were very sales-led who are transitioning. So I looked at like Okta recently actually announced that they're having a free plan for developers and they've actually leveled up their entire executive team uh, to folks who've done this in the past. So I think it can be done. I just think it's harder to move a ship that's going in a different direction than to move a ship that started in the right one. Historically, it seems like it's the companies that whose software was used primarily by development teams were product-led, right? Out, outside of HubSpot. Yeah. But yeah, do this is my favorite it, topic. <laughs> yeah, what, what drives this? Is it because the uh, engineers kind of close community try to figure out the problem and find a solution among each other? You know, I think I want to say, you know, it's this broader idea of developer communities being really strong problem solvers. But ultimately, I think it's because developers are impossible to get a hold of. You can't sell to developers. You can't like have a BDR reach out to a developer because he's not picking up his phone. He's not going to read that email. Um, and they need an enormous amount of tools. So they have they are this massive, massive market. But you have to be really clever and really smart to get into that market. And that's why I think a lot of these businesses have either started with an open source model, which I think is one of the original product-led models, or they started with a product-led model. I, I make a living off of interviewing developers on how they buy software. And 100% of them tell me if I can't get into a tool, I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to like wait to get access to a tool or I'm not going to sit through a sales demo. So I think that's really interesting. Sam, is there anything that important that I missed that, but you think that people who want to learn about the topic should know? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there are a lot of really great folks out there talking about product-led growth, but they may not necessarily call it that. There are a lot of folks up there calling it, you know, bottoms-up sales. Um, I've sort of made my career in SMB marketing and SMB acquisition. Um, and there's a lot of it out there and it's being done super well by a lot of folks. I would obviously recommend that anyone sort of visit the OpenView blog. We were really trying to make it so it's easy to learn about product-led growth for someone who's a beginner or someone who's very advanced. And, you know, I'd recommend that they take a look at the product benchmarks when they come out in June. Thank you very much, Sam.